Lake Effect continues now on WUWM. I'm Joy Powers, and it's time now for our monthly segment on entrepreneurship. Hi, I'm Kathleen Gallagher. Kathleen is the executive director of the Milwaukee Institute, and I'm Tim Keen. Tim is founder and director of Golden Angel Investors, and this is How Did You Do That?, a show about successful entrepreneurs and how and why they succeeded. We really thought we saw an opportunity for an unmet market need. And the other thing, too, is I knew nobody else was going to do this, and the patients, again, were doing it significantly better. Pete Ulrich was a young spine surgeon in Nina, Wisconsin, who wasn't satisfied with the available implants in the marketplace, so he came up with a new one, a titanium spacer to put between vertebrae during spinal fusion surgery. The invention took Pete, a self-described reluctant entrepreneur, on a very successful startup journey. Pete and Kevin Jemis, his best friend from high school and a very experienced business person, built Mequon-based Titan Spine into an innovative company that obtained multiple patents, experienced rapid revenue growth, and grew to 134 employees. Today, Titan Spine leads the category of surface-enhanced titanium interbody implants. In June 2019, it was acquired by Medtronic PLC, one of the world's largest medical device makers. Pete, welcome to How Did You Do That? Hello. You were happy as a spine surgeon. You never aspired to become an entrepreneur. What changed your mind? Well, really, it wasn't so much changing my mind as a kind of a series of accidents. So uh, we were using initially titanium devices, but they weren't designed correctly, so they really didn't work very well. So the market started going towards all plastic types of devices, a type of plastic called polyethylethyl ketone, and that just didn't make any sense to me. We don't try to bind two pieces of bone together anywhere else in the body with a piece of plastic, and really it wasn't being done in, in any other country in the world so much. So these are devices you were using to replace vertebrae or to fuse them together? It's, it's actually to fuse them together. So the theory behind the spine fusion is if you take a painful motion segment and stop the motion, the pain will go away. It's a very common surgery. And part of the surgery oftentimes entails taking out the disc space in the front, but then we have to put a cage in there to hold the two bones apart and then also get the bones to grow together. And plastic as a material just really doesn't allow that to happen. So titanium is better for growing bone. Yeah, we've actually known titanium is very bone friendly for 50 years. So I didn't think it was a material problem thought it was a design problem. So designed a different type of cage that fit into the disc space better and started using that in 2004. And you were doing that on weekends in your spare time? <laughs> Actually, I designed, uh, designed the cage with a, a friend of mine named Charampreet uh, Baga, who was vice president of research and development at a bone graft substitute company called Orthovita. And they, they wanted to learn how to do inner body fusions because they weren't doing them yet, and I just wanted a cage. So, yeah, we designed it together. So I didn't really have to do all the uh, FDA approvals and all the time-consuming aspects of it. So we started that in 2002 and started implanting them in May of 2004. And the patients did significantly better. They, they got better quicker. They used less opioids. Our fusion rates were great. At the time, though, the uh, titanium had really fallen out of favor in the whole rest of the industry. So at this point, Pete, you were really a designer and a full-time spine surgeon, not an entrepreneur. 
That's correct. And so what caused that to change? Why, why would you give up uh, what I assume is a pretty successful medical practice to start a company? So um, Orthoveda decided that they did not want to commercialize the product. They wanted to stay in bone grafts and didn't want to get into titanium antibodies. Uh, Tony Koblish was the CEO of Orthoveda, and what he allowed me to do is take it to all the strategic companies and see if they had any interest. Again, 95% of all fusions were done with plastic, so there really wasn't any interest. So Tony and I agreed that I could buy it back from him and start our own company to start to commercialize this. How did you weigh that decision? You were a spine surgeon, and they had this device. Yeah, I could have continued to just use it on my own, and it wouldn't have developed any further. They weren't going to put any money into it. Uh, we have one product just to do an anterior lumbar antibody fusion, and there's lots of different products you can make out of this. And we really thought we saw an opportunity for an unmet market need. And the other thing, too, is I knew nobody else was going to do this, and the patients, again, were doing it significantly better. And so that's really one of those really interesting points. You have a company that's been in this business. They kind of understand what they're doing. The major competitors aren't interested but you think you see a major market opportunity. Doesn't that sound like a lot of risk to most people? Yeah, it was a lot of risk. But in every other industry, titanium is what gets used to bind to a piece of bone. But how did you think about having to overcome the inertia in the marketplace? That's very difficult. Um, the inertia and the status quo tries to protect itself extremely hard because they own the inventory, they have a marketing concept, they have features and benefits. They don't want to change from that, which is, again, why they didn't want to buy it. So why would you take that risk? We actually thought we would find somebody and probably try to flip it fairly soon. We didn't think we'd own it for the next 13 years and uh, run through building a complete company around it. But you kind of had a choice. You, you could be the only surgeon in the country using this cage, right? Correct. Or you could do the company. Right. And um, starting the company with Kevin, you know, our deal was um, he was going to run the company and I would continue to do the, the, the development of further cages and then also the science on it. So you were CEO and Kevin was president. You started the company in 2007. You continued to practice as a spine surgeon. How, how did you manage that? I did. Uh, well, first I had a, had a phenomenal practice. So I had... Uh, Eight other partners who were really good, and they were encouraging me to do this. I had the same nurse practitioner, medical assistant, and a surgical tech for almost all 19 years. So it was a very efficient practice, so I'd split my time between the practice and uh, being a CEO. But at some point, you stopped doing that. And how did you make that decision to stop working as a surgeon entirely and spend all your time on this company? Well, the, the, the real realization was I wasn't doing either job very well. Um, neither one was a part-time job. So one of the jobs had to, had to go. And I was talking to Kevin about this one day, and he said the best advice he ever got was when he was, had to make a kind of a life-changing decision like this, is just kind of step back and think about what you would think about on your deathbed or what you would want in your obituary. And it was obvious, I mean, either I could, I could change an industry and things were going pretty well. Or I could continue just being a surgeon and hand it over to somebody else. 
What would your wife have to say about that? My wife's a physician, too. She's a pediatrician, and uh, she was dead set against me quitting because, especially in the procedural field, your best years are between when you're 50 and 60 because you've, you've already made a lot of the mistakes. And she didn't want me to throw away all that experience. But when I came home and gave her this choice, on a deathbed choice, she said, yeah, go quit. So when you started the company, you brought Kevin in pretty quickly. He was your best friend from high school, but he also had business experience. How did you know he was the right person? Well, Kevin, he really is a serial entrepreneur. So this was his second, maybe his third company. And his skill set is starting with maybe one employee and you know doing all the jobs and then building it from there. So he had the right skill set. The other thing, too, is we've, we've known each other forever and really trusted each other. As we got bigger, that really uh, helped a lot. So how did you fund Titan Spine as it grew from 2007 onward? Uh, initially, it, it was uh, my money and then really kind of friends and family money and some debt. And then it was a lot of debt. And uh, we kind of were, were pulling on that lever too hard. But for the first 10 years, we had no outside money, um, no professional money. And professional money usually wants to have some line of sight in a three to five year period of time. So um, we didn't bring in any professional money until 2016. But at that time, we had gotten approval on a brand new surface that was really revolutionary. We were starting to commercialize that, and then we really needed capital to do that. But then we had better line of sight. Let's talk about that new surface for a minute. You had the titanium cage, and tell us about how you started working with a researcher. You realized that you could help it to grow bone even better, right? Right. So we met Dr. Barbara Boyan, who's the dean of the School of Engineering at Virginia Commonwealth University, but she's also sort of the godmother of bone implant interfaces. And we met her, Kevin and I met her in 2009. And I remember that it was a kind of a memorable meeting because she asked to see a cage, and I had one in my pocket and showed it to her. And she looked at it and then looked at us and said, boys, you have no idea what you're doing, do you? <laughs> so turned out she was complimenting us in kind of a backhanded way by saying that this is far better than we think, that the cage, can, the surface could be changed so it could actually grow the bone. It could entice the body's stem cells to become bone-forming cells. So that started a process where we did about four years of research on optimizing a secondary process to create a surface that could actually transform cells and have them, have them participate in the fusion process. So in the end, what, what do you think was more important to the growth of the company, the titanium cage or this uh, bone-growing nanotech surface? Yeah, so it's always two things when you're trying to get um, cages to participate in a fusion. It's the material and titanium we thought was the ideal material. And then it's the topography of the surface. Cells can recognize both material and topography. And we have leapfrogged in front of everybody else in the industry with this surface so that the FDA has uh, cleared this as a nanotextured surface because we've been able to uh, hit the bar that we can show biologic activity is generated by the topography itself. And then we also took this to the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, who comes up with all the codes. This cage now is a different procedure. So it's no longer a, a fusion procedure. It's a nanotechnology fusion procedure. 
So they're all, we're the only ones in those categories for all, both of those. And that's really what's driving things now. So with those powerful technologies, you decided to take the company public, right? Right. Well, we had been talking to all the potential acquirers, which really in our industry is really only about six, uh, over a course of years. Um, they were interested in just making 3D printed titanium cages, which they're very inexpensive to make. There's no, no intellectual property uh, barriers to overcome, no freedom to operate barriers, but it's not a cellular surface. And I think that they, they really weren't believing in that, that cellular surface. So we had made the decision to go public, uh, one, to access cheaper capital and get much larger, and then also further uh, this commercialization process. It, it just takes, it, as you get bigger, the amount of money and the capital needed becomes exponentially bigger. So you filed your papers to go public, and it didn't happen? Mm, not quite. We were just starting to gauge a bank when Medtronic called. And when I told them we were doing this, they asked us to stop. And within a week, we had a decision that they'd rather do an acquisition than us going public. Do you think they heard that you were thinking of going public? Or? We, we had everything all set. We had just raised $16.7 million. Um, we had the growth rates. Um, we have the story. And uh, we'd been talking to uh, um, a lot of different banks and an uh, analysts. I mean, it was a very good story. And that there's a massive shortage of medical device companies with sound growth rates and track record that go public. And the number one reason they don't go public is because they get acquired beforehand. So we, and, and when you were thinking about that acquisition, how did you weigh that decision? Well, uh, as a board, Kevin and I and our two other uh, board members, we, we looked at just the potential if we went public, but also the risks. And, you know, it's kind of a bird in the hand kind of thing. It was a really good offer, and it was really hard to turn down a really good offer from a good acquirer. Uh, Medtronic's got a very good reputation when it comes to working through an acquisition. If it might have been a different company, we might not have been so eager to to uh, complete the acquisition. So a lot of times when there's an acquisition, um, your product gets swallowed up in the bureaucracy, the company never stays intact. You know, tell us what kind of benefits you get out of that acquisition. Yeah, so one of the things I really liked about this acquisition is um, they wanted to keep the company pretty much intact, especially the innovative arm. They want to become much more innovative as a spine company because they've gotten so large, they've lost a lot of the ability to innovate. So they're keeping us together as a surface treatment company. So we're still tight in spine. We're still located in Mequon. Um, we still have our Memphis distribution center. And also, too, we're keeping together a good bit of our independent distributors. So in a large part, it all stays the same that way. The opportunity now is now we can put the surface on a lot of different things we couldn't have ever even considered, like um, pedicle screws, which go into the backside of the spine, lateral mass screws, other spinal fusion products. Would, would you call that, does that mean it becomes a platform technology? It's exactly what, yes. It's a platform technology for them. And how long do you stay with Medtronic? Well, I've signed on for two years, and we'll see how it goes from there. And so what's the next big adventure? I'm only looking at two years right now. Nothing beyond that. All right, fair w enough. Would you ever do another startup? 
Uh, it'd be very difficult. I'd have to find something that I was as passionate about as this, and I don't think I could imagine that. Um, what's made this fun and exciting is I was extremely passionate about this technology because I, I could see what it did for patients. Well, we'll look forward to seeing uh, what more it can do for patients under this new company name. Thanks so much for joining us, Pete. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. You can read more about this story and find links to resources by visiting wuwm.com. And listen to all our podcasts at WUWM at the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts. 